Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. All right, welcome everybody. Today, we are joined again by Chris Mayfield, our good friend, and he has a really exciting and unique deal that he wanted to share. And so we're going to walk through um, just a discussion, walking through step-by-step his wholesale deal where he recently wholesaled an apartment complex. So step-by-step, specifically how to do that wholesale deal, as well as getting some insight into virtual wholesaling, which I know a lot of people are interested in. It's kind of a hot topic uh, right now. So welcome, Chris. Good to have you back, man. Always. Always glad to be here. Well, so you have been telling me different bits and pieces of this deal and and uh, every story seemed wilder and wilder. So, so walk us through, you know, each step um, for this wholesale deal so that people can get a big picture sure. process. So, yeah. so how did this thing... Start. What was I think this I think starting off this was a seven month deal I believe either six and a half months or seven months which is not typical but it does uh, remind me as it should everyone that fortune is in the follow-up um, not everyone's gonna say yes immediately and it's how you are fostering those leads and, and, and doing that touch sometimes weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, sometimes monthly um, to get it done. You'll have to forgive me. It would have either been a cold call or a text. Uh, I know the initial phone call was from us to the seller after that initial cold call or text was from my son, who at the time um, was 19. Uh, I don't think he was 18. Yeah, 19. So he made the initial call to the seller um, after we got our initial lead in from, from the text or cold call um, VA. And it started at that point. Um, understanding uh, or what my son understood in this moment was it wasn't, it, we had reached out because of one of many properties that this seller had uh, in, in, uh, in Memphis. And that led to Eventually, my son approaching me saying, this would be one in regards to acquisition that I need you to be a part of um, because he saw it was going to be something a little bit larger. And uh, so that's first, I mean, in in the process of wholesaling, number one, you've got to figure out a way to get in front of a seller. And in this case, it would have been a a text, uh, which we were sending out. He personally would do text and uh, through batch, he would send out two, 250 probably two, three times a day. So he'll send them out, you know, somewhere between eight and nine in the morning, um, just hitting the computer the way it does, it spits them out. Um, and, uh, and then he kind of massages those over the next two or three hours as far as responses, they'll come in, um, you know, stop. So he'll immediately remove those people, you know, and he can put those in the kind of hot, cold medium. And then it's a process of, they never will go more than three texts before they, we, we want them on the phone. So the initial text comes in, they'll come back, they'll say something on the second text that our texter will say is, would there be a good time that I could give you a phone call? 
and talk through this property. Um, so that would usually be on our second text, but no more than three, we tell them. Okay. Um, and then there's the initial call. So when your son, he gets this lead, he made that initial phone call. Is he following a script? Is he just building rapport? What's that first phone call like? Yeah, absolutely on the script. We want to have a, a focused uh, attention um, so that we don't get, we, we obviously want them to have a conversation, you know, obviously rapport first, second motivation, but in that we want to stay on task. So the script is there for us every bit as much as it is for the seller. It's to keep us uh, on task to get from start to finish, um, to work through rapport, um, uh, uh, motivation, and then we'll get into the actual property. And in this case, it ended up being um, apartments, uh, single family, and some duplexes is how the initial uh, thing started. Okay. So how did you, so before we get into following that script, how did you get this seller? Was it a list for single family homes or was it a list yeah. for apartments? It would have been single family. Okay. Yeah. And so he had the additional holdings. Interesting. So when your son called, did he know about the apartments or he, he was just following? He was literally calling about one property, um, you know, and, and sometimes a seller will reveal, um, I have multiple properties, but another thing I always want to encourage people is let's say he did call on that property and he said, no, I'm not interested in selling that. We always follow up with, would there be possibly any other properties that you would be looking to sell? Because when I first got started, you would, they would say no, and you'd hang up the phone. Well, what if they own two? You know, what if they own three? <laughs> what if they own 35? You know, if somebody called you about a property, right? And, and you said, no, I'm not interested in selling that one. And then they hung up and you're like, oh, I would have been willing to sell this other one, but they didn't yeah. ask. You know, So we always ask that question. Do you have any other properties or land that you might be looking to sell in the near future? Okay. And then, or, or anybody else that you know, that's actually, we, we say, do you have any other properties or do you know anybody that might be looking to sell any other properties or land in the near future? And sometimes they say, you know what, I actually have been thinking about, and in this case, um, you know, the seller revealed that he is looking to sell his properties in Memphis because he's looking to get out of Memphis due to some other investments he's doing in another state. So that was when uh, my son began to write out the addresses of everything he had, which was an apartment, a small apartment complex, 32 doors, and uh, some other properties. All right, sure. So your son realizes it's a hot lead gets all the, the addresses taken down and what's the next step from there? At that point, I don't know if it was a day later or two days later, we did a, we did a three-way phone call with, with uh, my son. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think, cause he was over in my office, we just, we just used his phone and did a speaker call and he introduced me uh, to the seller and said, this is my partner. It just so happens to be my dad too. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of how it started, you know, in that regard too, same thing. If you have an acquisitions person, um, you know, you still start over, 
I'm still going to start over, even though I have a bunch of information, I'm a different person. So I've got to figure out a way to build rapport. My son has a different personality than me. So he might like Tay or not like me or, or vice versa. So there's the niceties, the small talk, you know, um, and then there was the process of, and, and, and you know, and, and our goal and, and the, the, the step-by-step process of wholesaling is I'm there to serve the seller. You know, Mr. Seller, how could we help you in this? I, I hear you want to, to get out of Memphis. What would be best for you? Because other people had called him about various properties that he had. Um, and, and it was in that question that he said, well, what I'd like to do is move all of it. And so I just said, if I could be committed to doing that, would you be interested if I made a commitment to help you move all of it? You know, and of course he asked, what would that look like? And I said, well, it would look like this. We would either buy or I would connect you to the investor um, because I'm connected to other investors who would want to buy. So I was very uh, transparent with them. I, I don't know if I would buy all of them. I mean, I'd love to if the numbers are right. But what I'll commit to you doing is we'll look at it as buying it first. And if not, then getting it to an investor who would want to buy it. So I was honest, which he appreciated um, and said, okay, I've, I would be interested in that because I'm looking to move all of them. So if he has multiple properties and you maybe keeping some, maybe wholesaling some, does that mean you need a separate contract for each property or does that change the, uh, the process at all? No, whether you're going to write out 10 agreements, you know, or, or, or write out one for one of the properties, it's still the same. I mean, you, you, you do have to write out an agreement for each property, you know, um, so we would have to do that. Um, but what he did is he came back and he said, here's the deal. If you could really help me, um, he felt like that the houses and duplexes would sell. So he said, if what I'd like to do is move the apartment first so that I know I'm not stuck with that there. And then from there, I'll, I'll we'll then do a block of the five homes and a block of the four duplexes. So that's when we began the, you know, and that took us just so you know, I want people to understand that I know everybody, Oh, I can make, you know, $30,000 in 30 days. You could, you know, I made 27, five on my first one, but they're all different. A seller has a different reason of why he has to sell. And if you're there to serve him, you got to move within their timeline. And if you try to push them, you're just going to lose that, you know? So know that some can close in seven days and some can close in 21 days and some are going to take six and a half, seven months. I think that's a great, great point. You're there to serve them, their specific situation and their specific concerns. So ultimately they don't need me. They don't need me. I mean, but if I can provide a service that helps them, yeah, and they'll want to partner with me. And that's, I asked him, I point blank asked him one day because I still didn't know him well. I was probably three or four weeks into this. And I just said, hey, why are you working with me? I, I literally asked him that because I knew tomorrow he could call me and say, hey, somebody came and gave me an offer. So I'm just going to do that. Right. And he said, because I believe you're telling me the truth. I believe that, that you're not trying to um, tell me something just to get my deal that you truly believe that you can move these properties. So I, I, you know, he trusted me, which was great. That's ultimately what you want to do 
You know, if somebody doesn't like you, they're probably not going to do business with you. Yeah, it's a people business, 100%. So it couldn't be about me. It couldn't be about me. Mm-hmm. I've always learned that regardless of if I'm buying the house or assigning, if you make it about you, it's just really going to be tough, difficult to get that deal. Sure. So, all right. So at this stage, he says he wants to move the apartments first. And so what's the process for, did you, how did you nail down the contract for the apartments? How did you figure the, uh, the resale value and what your offer was? How does that work? Um, well, <laughs> there's so many things. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you one of those easy questions. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't cut, you know, it wasn't just black and white. It was, he started at, he kind of, this is the price I wanted. Um, and he said he had been offered that price before. I don't know when he had been offered, but this is kind of where he wanted to be um, to move that. So then I needed to do a little bit of research and find out, you know, per door, is that a good deal? Right. Um, so one of the things that I did was I reached out to my property manager in that same city and said, it, it, you know, you guys manage things like this. Is this a good deal? for the people that you manage for. And they came back and said, yes, you know, I didn't do any. Um, and I, and I want to say this because you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You know, I always used to think, man, I just don't understand all the numbers and all the financing. I don't know. I'm a big picture guy. I'm a vision guy. I just want to help the guy move the property. Um, and so to me, something in, in this business is um, you gotta be consistent you gotta be perseverant. Um, but I think you got to be resourceful. And in that moment, I just turned to other people. Hey, is this a good deal? You know, I have a former student in my ministry who has bought three apartment complexes, much larger than this, you know, and I just turned to him. Is this a good deal? Can you give me five minutes and tell me if this is legit? You know, my property manager, I reached out to them. I reached out to a couple other people and said, hey, do you know, what do you think about this? You know, and so you can kind of look at that and see, okay, this is. And and it just so happened, um, I had somebody in my life that was looking to place some money and buy something like this. So uh, I kind of went down that road with them. And then because they weren't as experienced um, they kind of backed off. They didn't think it was a bad deal. They just were like, man, I don't know. They're in a different state, you know, but then again, you don't quit. So I went back to the property manager and, and uh, she had uh, two or three other people, as well as I had three or four other people that wanted to buy it. Hmm. Um, but then one began to kind of emerge that was, was super interested and had performed over and over with my property management uh, company so that's kind of how it began to take shape. It wasn't a typical wholesale deal in that I get it under contract at 70% less repairs, you know, because that's not what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with a small apartment complex. But just because I couldn't do my typical math doesn't mean it's still not a deal. Right. What was the situation with the complex? Was it performing as it should? Was were there value add? It was definitely a value add. It was not performing at what it could been. And that was because of um, that property management company mm-hmm. um, hadn't performed well. Um, and my seller was busy with a lot of other things. So he wasn't, you know, 
managing it kind of day to day or month to month or whatever you want to call it because he's getting checks, um, but and he's not even flying out there. So yeah, there was definitely some, uh, definitely a, a value add, definitely a, a different management company would make it a much better deal because they would shore up some stuff, some quick fixes. Um, and, and long-term, the buyer and the property management knew that if it was properly taken care of, um, then yeah, it would be a great investment. Sure. All right. So you get it on a contract, you put it out there and have multiple people interested one buyer seems to rise to the surface that they're legitimately interested and and ready to follow through with it and what was the process after that point well um you know (laughs) you're dealing with people and you're dealing with personalities and uh you know obviously a buyer is going to want to see things um Physically, they're going to want to walk into three, four, five, six of these uh, apartments, you know, to get an idea. Okay. They're probably not going to walk through all 32, but they need to walk through at least six, you know, to to kind of get a theme of what they're seeing, right? And uh, there was a couple of vacant they could get them in, but that was another difficulty was the property management company just wasn't motivated. It's not their deal. Actually, they're going to lose it if they sell right. So why are they going to be motivated? So had to send my buyer with my property manager over there and they send a maintenance guy and he doesn't have the keys to get into the laundry room and, and doesn't care that we can't get in. Um, walks into a vacant one and then just randomly walk, knocks on a door of, of a tenant, you know, so it was just, it was a bad visit. And they ended up having to go back two more times to get an accurate assessment. And each time the management company said they would send somebody more responsible. And each time, the last time the buyer said, look, we've got to see this. And so the seller calls his own management company and says, he calls the, the, I think the owner of the company says, you got to get this done. I've got to get somebody out there that can get them in this property. Sent the same guy. (laughs) Holy mackerel. Gave them their word that it would be better and it was the same deal, but they saw some different apartments. You're telling me Uh, this management company wasn't managing the complex to its full potential? That seems hard to believe. Oh, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you you do have to be careful with management companies um, because it's their job, but again, it's still not their investment. It's your investment. Yeah. But, you know, again, it was the resourcefulness. It was not quitting. It was, okay, my management and buyer are like, look, we want to move forward, but we've got to get a, a better picture, you know, of what this thing is doing. And the numbers weren't great and, and, and older. And so it's just a lot of, again, it comes down to being a personable person and, and, and your job is to go between. The seller has some things the buyer has some things and you've got to get what, what both of them want to make sure both of them feel good about this or they're not going to do this transaction. Um, you know, the seller, of course, they, they've got their certain things on closing costs and what their price that they want. And then the buyer, of course, is looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, not only my purchase price, but what am I going to financially have to do right away? And I think as a wholesaler, you've got to, you've got to get out of just, hey, I'm going to get it under contract and hey, I'm going to sell it. It's, hey, I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to serve this person, right? Because 
I'm going to be a seller one day and I'm going to be a buyer one day. And if I think like that, I'll be a better a wholesaler. Yeah. So after just uh, tons of writing contracts and then amending it, then just scrapping it and writing it over, I think we probably did it six, seven times um, at least, um, you know, and then, um, and then that doesn't include then the assignment and, and what you got to do there because you've got a, you've got a purchase and sale agreement that you're doing with the seller, right? So, okay, we're good. We, they feel good about where they're at and, and what we have in those terms. Okay. So the buyer though is going to sign an assignment agreement that says, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to step in the place of Chris and buy this property. So A is the seller, C is the buyer, B is the wholesaler who's technically under contract with the, with the seller. And now C is going to step in place of you. So now they're, you're going to be the assignor and they're going to be the assignee. But as soon as they sign that, they're going to want to see the original purchase sale agreement because that's ultimately what they're stepping in the place of. And you can't hide that from them. You've got to let them know because that's what they're coming to the closing table doing. Yes, we're under contract for this price. And yes, there's an assignment fee, so it's more. But in the end, this is all these things that we agreed with the seller, that buyer has to perform. Right. I'll stop right there and see where, where what you might want to ask. So what's the, have you ever had any issues? I know a lot of people worry about, I have this assignment contract and then I reveal the original contract and that buyer sees how much is in the assignment fee or have you ever had any issues with pushback that you're making too much or... Yep. Yeah. Yep. How do you handle that? I just don't work with them anymore. <laughs> as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, uh, I had a, a large buyer in Dallas, Texas. They have a, a REIT. Uh, they, they manage, I don't know, a couple hundred, three, 400 properties, but they still buy. They're still also investors, even though they have this REIT. And he said, it's none of my business. You sent me a deal with a price tag on it. I looked at it. I determined that's a good deal. So at that point, whether you make 2000 or a hundred thousand shouldn't matter. I said it was a good deal. Why don't I just buy it? Why all of a sudden do I have a problem with your capitalist part of making money? Right. Um, you know, he just said, I never, you know, so that's kind of how I approach it. If you thought it was a good deal, why did it change when you saw how much of it was my assignment agreement? It shouldn't right. matter. I'm not, I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if I say, Hey, I'm, um, I'll make up, if I'm under contract for a hundred and I'm selling it for 150, I don't expect every buyer to come in and go, I'll take it. Sometimes they'll say, Hey man, would you do that for 145? I, I expect that their, their job is to right? where do they make their money at the purchase price? Where do I make money at the purchase price? So I'm not offended by that. Um, uh, and I'm not even offended when that someone comes to me and goes, wow, you're making that much money. Um, I just respond. Yeah, man. Isn't it great to live in America? <laughs> you know? And then if they say, well, I have a problem with it, then I say, man, I'm sorry that you feel that way. 
but did you, you said you wanted the deal at 150. Yeah. What has changed? Right. You know, nothing's well, changed. So if they don't want to move forward, that's fine. I've got two people behind you that are ready to move, but you answered first. So I'm going to honor that and give you the chance to, to move forward. But if you have a problem with what I'm making and want to stop, I'm more than welcome to do that. I've got somebody else that's ready to go. Yeah, I think too many people when they see the wholesale or the assignment fee, don't take into consideration the amount of money spent on marketing, marketing. and screening calls and all the effort that goes into finding this lead, right? It looks sweet on that one assignment contract. You're not seeing all everything behind it. So absolutely. Have you ever had any issues or were there any issues in this deal? where the buyer sees the original contract and doesn't like something in those terms? Um, no, I will say in this case, um, after the agreement, when we were trying to do um, a cash purchase, um, we learned that the seller had some uh, deadline dates because he was gonna use the money for a 1031 exchange. So okay. after everything was done on the last time we rewrote the contract, it changed and went to a seller finance deal, an owner finance, seller finance, whatever, you know, because the title needed to change names before a date. But my buyer who has no problem bringing 25% of his total purchase price, which was, somewhere in that $900,000 range, um, a little less than that. Um, what, um, but the bank, the private bank they're using is like, they're approved, not an issue, but it's going to take us about five weeks at best, eight weeks the longest to go through the paperwork to get it done. So my buyer's like, but I've got the 223 plus. Um, so what we did is we went back to the seller because this is what he needed and we wrote a seller finance agreement that, um, and just kind of, I'll, I'll keep it light and not get too in the details, but then because of certain things, the 1031 group said he couldn't do it the way we were talking about it, just semantics of words. So again, going back and being resourceful and having, you know, at that point, five and a half months into the deal, it's like, well, we're not ending here. So I have another buyer in Dallas that was doing a 1031 with a lot more money. And I reached out to him and said, Hey, can I get your 1031 connection? Because I know I'm going to need it too. So I reached out to a guy in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who's been doing 1031 since they wrote the law. I think it was 97, 98. Don't, don't quote me on that. I just remember like whenever it became a law, this guy had already been in real estate, got it. And he became a, a 1031 exchange person and has been mm. doing it ever since. Um, so again, just bend his knee or, Hey, could I ask you a few questions? You know, is this doable? Can you do a seller finance? And he's like, well, yeah, absolutely. But it was just a matter of changing words to, instead of saying seller finance or that saying subject to, um, we were using words like wrap, you know, like wrapping it around it and 1031 couldn't do that. But the words that this 1031 gave us, I eventually got this 1031 guy on the phone with my seller. 
so that he could ask questions outside of his 1031 person because he didn't have a relationship with them. It's just a, a company. Yeah. And he was able to ask the same questions to have peace of mind to go back to his 1031 group and say, let's do it this way. And they agreed. So then we rewrote the contract with that verbiage so that it um, appeased his 1031 group and allowed everything to be um, up and up, straight integrity, which is what we want, and legal. We want all that to be good. And it didn't change anything from the buyer because he's still coming to buy it for a set price. Um, and instead of putting, the, I think it was 50 or 100 down in that seller finance deal that we wrote out, he just brought all 25% because his bank was okay with that, which gave hmm. the seller a little bit more on the front end there. But my, my point is, is that he had some specific needs and we went out and found a way to make that work. Um, and then we went back to our seller and said, are you okay with this? Because you're at this point, they signed an assignment agreement that just has a total price. But now the contract is changing, right? Yeah. And so we want them to know that we want to be very forthright. Hey, he's doing a 1031. The title has to change before your bank's going to be done with their part. And they were good with it. I mean, it really worked out that we had a great buyer who was very calm, has bought, you know, many properties and, and wasn't alarmed. And man, we were, I mean, we were talking to seller, buyer, 1031 exchange. We got on the phone with his bank um, so she could hear the deal and make sure they were okay with it. Um, we learned for the first time, I've never done a deal like this, that this bank was willing to pay an assignment fee. It was a whole, I left out the whole mm. disaster of, oh, they're not going to buy it for cash, which they could. They're going to get financing, which I totally understand. Oh, how are we going to do an assignment? Because banks generally don't do assignment fees. They'll only do the, the mortgage for the, the actual purchase price. God, I don't know this buyer. Is, is he willing to pay us outside? We even went to the seller and said, would you pay us our fee? And, and mm -hmm. I, mean, I did everything in this deal. I've never gone to the seller and said, hey, if I do this deal, will you still pay us, you know, based on what they're, but it worked out that the bank was willing to do it. Um, so I learned something totally different. They had started like six months ago that they would, they would do assignment fees with their buyers. Not sure. Yeah. That's awesome. And just every problem you ran into, you just pulled in somebody else who yep. may have a solution or has more experience in that area. So. I mean, to, to, to back up, you know, there's marketing and finding a seller, getting in a conversation with the seller, getting the seller under contract, now going to people that are looking for properties like that and marketing the contract. And it's actually a purchase and sale agreement. We're marketing that, not the property. Um, and then the buyer says, I want to buy it, signs an assignment agreement. Then you hand the original agreement over to the buyer too. They're going to need that one because they're stepping in place too. They might have to give that to their hard money lender or their private lender. They want to see it, make sure everything's on the up and up. And then you close right at a title company. That's kind of the, the streamline of what happens. But, you know, from getting under contract to closing, so many different circumstances come up. You could be looking for another seller on there. They, they were divorced. And so you've got to get the signature because technically they're still on title or someone died and, and you've got to get legal proof that they died 
five years ago because maybe they didn't do any probate or anything, which is real simple, right? I mean, it, it, but just understand that from signed agreement to closed and funded, there could be so many different things that come up, whether you're a wholesaler or buy and hold. Yeah. And it's how you are resourceful and not quitting determines whether or not that deal is going to finalize. And so this was a seven month deal. So you were putting out marketing and, and front fronting your expenses and didn't receive your proceeds from the wholesale deal for at least seven months. Yes, sir. From that. And at what point do you receive your assignment? Is that coming from your buyer? Does that come from a title company at closing? How do you structure it? Yeah. So for, for us, um, and I think that's, it's pretty much par for the course that when it, the property goes to close, um, the, the funds have been brought in by the why, uh, by the buyer, the title company will close everything. And you'll generally get an email that says the property has closed and it's funded. Generally, if it's before noon, you'll receive a wire. Uh, if that's the way you choose to, to be paid, you'll mm-hmm. generally receive a, a wire for your assignment fee that day. And typically, usually if it doesn't happen after 12, if it's after 12, you probably won't receive your money until the following day. Uh, same thing with the buyer. If they close before 12 and they fund, the buyer is going to receive their proceeds that day. But generally, if it happens after one, the proceeds are going to hit their bank the following day. Sure. But, but the title company has uh, asked usually three to seven days before that closing to turn in your wiring instructions uh, or do you want to check cut and mailed? You know, they'll do either one. So with this deal, the apartments were in Memphis. You are in Arizona. Yep. Right? Yep. So most wholesalers... You know, in my market, most wholesalers I meet are running around in the neighborhoods trying to find the deals and they're local and they're trying to leverage their knowledge of the neighborhood with their network of buyers. Mm-hmm. What, how does it change if you go to a virtual wholesaling model? What's the, you know, what do you need to be able to do that in any city? Sure. In another well, city. Just to understand this deal, it's kind of funny. The seller was in California. The wholesalers, uh, I have a partner, are in Dallas and Phoenix. <laughs> the buyer is in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> so mm-hmm. none of us uh, uh, were in the actual city that we were doing the doing the transaction. The only people that were in the city were property management and the title company. <laughs> But everybody involved in the deal does not live in uh, the state of Tennessee. So to answer your question, um, you know, both are good. Arizona, I started, you know, doing it here, but prices were just so crazy. And I don't just want to wholesale, I also want to invest. And the capital you need um, to get involved here is much more than a Dayton, Ohio, or a Memphis, Tennessee, or a Oklahoma City, um, uh, and even in parts of Dallas-Fort Worth with the owner finance type stuff that we do. Um, um, so that's the only reason 
I kind of stepped back a little bit from Arizona. My wife's an agent here. So I mean, I'm always tapped in a little bit and I live here and I love what I do. So I'm always looking, but I'm not spending marketing dollars in Phoenix. So the, 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 the process is, is the same in some regards that I got to find sellers. And whether you're in Phoenix or you're in Memphis, most likely you're going to go online to get a list or find your sellers. So that doesn't really matter where you're, where you live. In my case, I would go on batch and I'm going to put in a city or, or more specifically a zip code that I want to go after. And it's going to pull some data based on what I'm looking for. Vacant homes would be, you know, that's the one that everybody's going to quickly go to. So vacant homes in this area code. And then I might put a little few more parameters on there. I just want three twos. Um, I just want, uh, you know, um, absentee, uh, uh, meaning that the person that owns the home doesn't live in the home. Or if I really want to get a little bit more motivation, I want an absentee out of state. They own a home in Arizona, but they don't live in Arizona. So there's much more hassle going on in their lives. They're having to deal with a management company or they're having to drive over and check on the house. And then the renter goes out. So they got to find a new tenant. So if you're out of state, there's a little more stress involved, maybe a little more motivation to get this thing sold. Yeah. So I'll go into, in this case, I'm going to go into Memphis, find a zip code that I like, a zip code that I know the buyers like, and I'm going to pull that list, you know, then I'm going to get on the phone. Again, I still don't have to be in that city to get into conversation with that seller. If I familiarize myself with that city, I can talk to that person as if I've lived in Memphis all my life. I know different, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, points in the city. Yeah, I, mean, I know what's or, yeah, yeah landmarks, or I know specifically in that zip code, you know, certain landmarks or, or things. Um, I would advise. I mean, eventually, when you start making money, go see that city go to a few RIAs and meet, right, uh, a buyers and have relationships because it's still a relationship business, but you don't have to. Yeah. You really don't have to. You can reach out to another local wholesaler if you want to get started in that city and pick their brain. You could even do a deal or two with them to familiarize. You're not going to make as much money, but you're going to get a ton of experience. And then when you feel like you're good, you can go your separate ways or it might turn into something that you stay there together because the volume is there to, to have that person on the ground, but you're going to look for someone that is going to get into the property and, and get eyes on the property so that you make sure that you, you've got the property under contract, but now you want to go validate. Right. Yes, it is worth that. I can move that property to an investor. Interesting. I'm always amazed talking with you because to me, it seems like virtual wholesaling would be very difficult to pull off. But in reality, so much is done online, whether you're in your own city or, you know, multiple states away. So there's I think only it's really certain it's personality. Steps. It's personality. It doesn't bother me. I got a lead today. We started PPC and I got a lead today and it's in Alabama. Well, I'm not even marketing in Alabama. <laughs> My PPC is for the state of Texas. And I don't know. Now, again, it might have been that she just found our website, um, which has nothing to do with that. But even on our website, treehouseoffer.com, 
I don't, we don't have that listed. We have Texas cities listed. We have Memphis cities listed. We have Seattle, Washington. I think we have Phoenix, Arizona, but I don't have anything Alabama. So a lot of people are like, man, what am I going to do? I mean, Alabama, I don't know how to get a pro it's numbers. At first it's personal. Can I have call and have a conversation with this lady? Yeah. Right? And, and that's a motivated seller. She went to my website. She filled out information. She said she's looking to sell now. She said the property's vacant. She said she needs to sell it as soon as possible. So I'm not even cold calling her. She said, hey, I'm reaching out. Can you buy my property? So that's the best lead of all. Yeah, it's awesome. But again, Alabama, I don't, I've never done a deal in Alabama, but let's say that she's motivated. Let's say that we connect. Let's say the numbers make sense. I'm going to get it under contract. And then I'm going to throw it out there on some Facebook pages and some other places. Hey, anybody buying in such and such Alabama? Yeah, people, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, let's do a deal. <laughs> so you need a local somebody to inspect the property, right? And make sure it meets what you've discussed or the condition that it's been discussed about. Absolutely. And you need a local title company to close it. Is there anything, anything else or? No, I mean, at that point, I mean, I know certain title companies that do multiple states. And so you can just work with them because they, they are legally set up in each of those states. And okay. so you can, you can, uh, yeah, I've used a title company out of Pennsylvania that, that does Memphis, Tennessee, or that does the state of Tennessee. Um, and, but I've used that same title company. They have an office in Dallas to close a property in Arlington. Um, but let me give you an experiment, or, or let's kind of do it this way. You're in Dayton, Ohio. I know you're a buy and hold guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I get a property under contract in Dayton. Well, I don't know the first thing about Dayton, you know, other than what you've told me. Yeah. So I'm going to call you up and say, Hey, Chad, I don't know if you're really interested. You know, it might not work for you, but I've got this property um, at one, two, three main street and uh, I'm under contract and I'm interested And let's just say I'm under contract for 50 um, and, and I want to sell it for 55. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm not going to tell you what I have it under contract. I'm just going to say, Hey, right. I got this property under contract. I'm looking to get 55. Um, if it makes sense to you, right, let me know. Well, I know what Chad's going to do. He's going to go online real quick or his phone. He's going to type in that address. Even though he doesn't believe in it, Zillow's going to pop up and it's going to say it's a $100,000 property, right? Well, Chad knows that's that may or may not be true. So he'll click out of that, look at solds. He'll look within a mile and see, you know what? There's at least three properties that sold for 100, 105 this doesn't look like a bad deal. Even if I had to put $20,000 into it, it's not a bad deal. So you call me back and you say, again, remember, I've never been in Dayton. And you say, you know what? I think that would work. What's the next thing you're going to say to me? What do I need to do to get it under contract? Well, yeah. And I'll say, well, I'm guessing, Chad, you want to go walk it? And he's going to say, yeah. And I'm going to say, well, Great. You know, I don't, I'm so new that I haven't even been in the property, Chad, but you're a veteran, a buyer. And so I know you'll know what to look for. So even if you don't buy the, the deal, Chad, will you just be honest with me and tell me if I got a good deal at 55? So now, and then I just say, can you take some pictures for me? And I'll tell you the pictures that I want. Well, heck, Chad isn't having to compete with anybody. Heck yeah, I'll send you some pictures because you're not even marketing it and I get to go look at it. So 
you don't even take pictures. You get in there and you've committed to take pictures, but you say, no, this is the deal. And you say, hey, Chris, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'll send you some pictures, but I don't think you need them because I want to buy it. Right. So yeah. let's say that we finish, we transact, you're tickled pink, you got it for 55, you're going to put 10, you're going to refi, you've got a renter, great deal. Well, you know, either you're going to call me back or I'm going to call you back and say, hey, Chad, could we kind of set a pipe system up here where anything else I get under contract, um, I just bring the deal to you first. And then if you don't like it, I can market it to somebody else. What's an investor like you going to say? Heck yeah. Right. Not, you're not blasting it to Dayton buyers. You're just sending it to Chad. And Chad, all I ask in return is when you go look at the property without anybody bothering or competing, would you take some pictures for me? And that way, if you guys and your team choose not to buy it, I can go out there and accurately market it to somebody who does want it. From there, there's a relationship. Chad's not going to buy all of them. So, but through that, Chad might say, but we'll always be your picture taker. And we work out a deal that I pay somebody 30 bucks for them every time to go spend 15, 20 minutes to take the certain pictures that I want. Um, yeah. And then through that relationship and other buyers, I'll find somebody, I'll find a wholesaler who's hungry that says, you know, I'll go take your pictures if I can learn. And that might become an acquisitions person for me who's on the ground. It just kind of grows from there. But I want to say this, that's not for everybody. There are certain controlling type personalities that would just say, I, I, I just can't do that. You know, and I, I respect that. Yeah, I, th I, I think it would appeal to some people who are in Phoenix or California or, you know, in, a, in an area that may be difficult um, just for the amount of money that you have to invest to get a return that might be appealing to look at a virtual model to be able to work in another city. But for people who are, I mean, obviously your first step, I would think for most people would be to work where they live. Um, it's going to be simpler, but I think it's reassuring to people that process really isn't that different between the work in the city you live and the, the virtual. So Yeah. Because of technology, you know, because of, of technology, you can get everything that you need about that property um, to someone else. Because sometimes the numbers are so good, you don't even have to take pictures, right? The buyer's like, I don't care how bad it is. I, yeah, I like that price. I'll buy it. And that's, yeah. that's far and few between, but I'm just saying it's not that hard to find somebody to go take pictures. You know, the only other thing I have to do in certain circumstances is there is somebody that just won't do a deal unless you're standing right in front of them, right? They just, they're just that person. I respect that. So I go find somebody that represents me that goes. It's generally going to be some type of investor that I reach out. Am I going to get probably the whole assignment fee on that deal? No. But to me, something's better than nothing if I come across that personality that says, I'll sign the agreement if somebody's standing here face to face with me. Yeah. Right. You know, if I have to go send you and it's a 10,000 assignment and you say, Chris, you know, I want 30% for the work I'm going to have to do. I'll take seven over zero. You know, it was a $10,000 deal. You get three, I get seven. Cause I did the, the heavy lifting to get them under, to agree to my pricing. And all you're going to do is physically go stand in front of them and shake their hand and sign it and take pictures. 
okay, because I'm not looking to do one deal. You know, I'm trying to do as many deals as possible. Yeah, sure. All right. So for everybody interested, there it is. Step by step, how to do a wholesale deal, whether it's a single family or an apartment in your hometown or city multiple states away. That's it. All right. I appreciate it, Chris. I appreciate the breakdown and uh, the specifics. Absolutely. Awesome deal. Yep. I keep reaching for my glasses, but I don't have my glasses. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the only thing we didn't say with this deal was what was the final assignment fee? Um, it was hefty. It was, uh, it was hefty. It was, uh, 59, five. Was that worth to me? That seems worth a lot of negotiations and phone calls and pulling people in. Yeah. So, all right. That's awesome, man. If that doesn't encourage somebody to start talking to people and driving the neighborhood or putting out mailers, I don't know what would. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, it's completely up to the the amount of effort you put in and your willingness to be uncomfortable and talk to people. So yep. it's awesome. Just don't stop. Just don't stop. There we go. You always say it. Just keep going. Keep going. I'm going to say it for you. <laughs> All right. Always good talking with you, Chris. Appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks, Chad. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.